Lebanon is famous for delicious Levantine food, exquisite Mediterranean beaches, and a nightlife like no other. But beneath a tourist-friendly facade lies a grim reality only felt by those who navigate the day-to-day. For nearly three years, the small country has been steadily collapsing under the weight of a financial crisis that is one of the worst in the modern world. The economic collapse has permeated every aspect of daily life. To be Lebanese is to navigate a slew of daily challenges caused by the economic rupture. So people have developed coping mechanisms and they're not always healthy. Health experts say mental health is declining and substance use is on the rise. This is Dahlia describing how she copes with life in Lebanon. To like kind of deal with emotions, I guess, like uh, intense emotions, mostly with uh, cannabis, because it kind of just like allows me to kind of breathe sometimes. It kind of helps me deal. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Nada Homsi, and on this week's episode, we're looking at Lebanon's silent crisis, at how the pervasive economic collapse has triggered a mental health emergency and a rise in substance use. Before we start, please subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get all the latest episodes. Dahlia is Lebanese, but she grew up in the Gulf. She came to her homeland, a fresh-faced university graduate ready to start a career and build her life in Lebanon. That was the summer of 2019. By autumn, the country's circumstances had changed drastically. A mass protest movement, a protracted financial collapse, the COVID-19 pandemic, and the massive Beirut port explosion all followed in rapid succession. It was a bit much, so... I started picking up smoking a a bit more, like without even realizing I was just like rolling a lot more. And then with um, all the events that happened and just like having to go to Beirut, just being very overwhelmed in the city, I would find myself come in drinking more like while I'm in town just to, I don't know, just to make it bearable, I guess. Um, And yeah, I'm finding myself saying yes more to other drugs than I normally would. Dahlia, who wanted her real name concealed because of the stigma associated with drug use, found herself self-medicating. She says her declining mental health was compounded by Lebanon's economic collapse and the traumatic memory of the port explosion. And she says she's not the only one. I mean, everyone around you is kind of feeling the same way. You know, we don't always talk about it, but I can see it in everyone's faces that it's just, you know, very tough for everyone. Um, yeah, there's like a, an understanding. We all kind of get it. Mental health is on the decline in Lebanon, a country where resources are stretched so thin, it can't even afford basic services like state-run electricity or flour for bread. It is a national decline which the head of Lebanon's national mental health program, Dr. Rabia Shammai, attributes to several overlapping crises in Lebanon. Among them is the August 2020 explosion in Lebanon's capital. It was one of the biggest non-nuclear explosions in history, killing over 200 people and raising whole neighborhoods of Beirut. That blast, caused by thousands of tons of ammonium nitrate left unattended for years in a port warehouse, is widely blamed on the corruption and negligence of Lebanon's politicians, the same political class that's being blamed for causing the nation's financial crisis. A domestic investigation into the explosion has been stalled repeatedly. 
Mental health experts like Dr. Shammai say the traumatic event will continue to have a resounding effect on Lebanon's population. We know for sure as well that traumatic events leave repercussions on people's mental health. Some would develop disorders, some would be able to cope with that. And the Beirut port explosion was one of the biggest explosions, and I think the repercussions will stay for years to come. So within that context, when you, when you ask me about mental health in Lebanon, I mean, I think it's fairly fair to say that people are not doing well. It's important to pause here and make the distinction that a decline in mental health does not necessarily mean everyone with depression or anxiety is doing drugs or abusing substances. But Dr. Shamai explains there are established correlations between nations in economic crisis and a decline in a population's mental well-being, leading to a rise in substance abuse. So, in Lebanon, as in all countries that go through a big economic crisis, we, we are seeing an increase in uh, resorting to substance use. And Lebanon has gone through quite a number of very important crises. COVID, to start with, then the political unrest, then the economic crisis and the Beirut blast. And all of those combined have multiplied the negative impact on the mental health of people that we could sense either empirically from reports from clinicians or from sub Uh, national studies that have been conducted by some academia that have shown actually that because of all these crises, the prevalence of mental health problems and the prevalence of substance use and alcohol uh, disorders has increased. One study was headed by Dr. Lilian Randour, an epidemiologist at the American University of Beirut. She conducted a survey of over 600 people of various backgrounds in which they were asked to compare their substance use in 2020 to that of their usual consumption. The study focused on tobacco, alcohol, cannabis, and prescription drugs like opioid pain relievers and sedatives, but not on illegal drugs. So we asked them, in general, would they say that their substance use significantly decreased, decreased, uh, stayed the same, increased, significantly increased, or obviously we realized that there was a proportion of people that maybe hadn't used these various substances and uh, decided to start using them during that year. And the results were, um, I wouldn't say surprising. The study found an increase in consumption across the board for all the substances surveyed in varying degrees. The results showed a 30% increase in alcohol consumption, a 70% rise in prescription drug use, and a 50% rise in cannabis consumption. In short, the study indicated a substantial uptick in substance use in Lebanon. But here's the catch. So I repeat that this is not a nationally representative sample. I repeat, this is not any indication of problems related to such substance use, but it is a significant proportion of people that they themselves have reported that their substance use had increased. It also sheds light on the percentage of people that also reported on um, their perceived levels of stress, anxiety, and depression. Plus, Dr. Randur's study doesn't give us any indication of the prevalence of hard drug use or illegal use of prescription medications. Lebanon doesn't have any updated national statistics on substance use or addiction. What the country does have is a number of smaller studies that have been conducted by clinics, NGOs, and universities, which are then shared with Lebanon's Ministry of Health, Dr. Shammai says. 
The last national report on drug use in Lebanon published by the health ministry was released in 2017. Pre-financial crash, pre-explosion, pre-COVID. A vastly different era from the Lebanon of today. Today's Lebanon teeters on a precipice. Some traffic lights in the city's capital have stopped functioning because of the lack of electricity. Shortages in everything from fuel to bread to medicine have come to dominate daily life. The local currency has plummeted in value by over 90%, and inflation has soared at a rate most of the country's residents cannot afford to keep up with. And since 2019, the majority of people's savings have been trapped in banks. In short, as the crisis grinds on, people's mental resolve continues to crumble as they face the challenges of daily life in a collapsing country. But resources are simply not there for a national study which would help us understand the scale and intensity of substance and drug use in Lebanon. What we do have is data from studies like Dr. Randur's, various non-governmental organizations, and various treatment centers. And it's data which indicates a growing problem. This is Tatiana Sleiman, the executive director of SCUN. It's one of Lebanon's most well-known substance addiction and drug prevention centers. SCUN offers vital and free outpatient treatment to those seeking help for their substance use. But Tatiana says their center has been slammed in the years since the economic crisis began. What we do have is the number of people that are being treated at SCUN uh, echoes from the number of people being treated in other treat harm reduction centers or treatment centers, which we know has been on the rise ever since the crisis started. We know this simply by the fact that all the centers are at maximum capacity almost all the time over the past three years, which was not the case pre-crisis. I mean, we used to go through phases, maybe one month where we're at maximum capacity, the months after we have spaces. Whereas now, like for instance, for Spoon, on a monthly basis, we have wait, wait lists of approximately 20, 25 people that we either have to refer if there's places in other centers or just put on hold, depending on their severity, until we have an opening uh, to be able to receive them. So for instance, at Skoon alone, which we know Skoon is currently the center that is receiving the highest number of people getting treated for substance use in the country, we have around 300 active patients every month, active people who are using our services both in Beirut and Baalbek every month. We see overall throughout the year around 550 to 600 people that are seeking treatment for substance use. So these are the numbers that we have in terms of our center directly. Now, the wait list to receive treatment from Schoon ranges from one to two months. The center tries to prioritize based on severity, Tatiana says. For Mohammed Mbarak, a 28-year-old who is still recovering from a heroin addiction, receiving services has been challenging. He says since quitting, he's begun taking Subaxan, a drug commonly used to treat opioid addiction. But unable to receive any formal treatment for his addiction, he's resorted to buying it on the black market one half pill at a time. Sometimes he and his mom skip dinner so he can afford the medication, which is sold at exorbitant black market prices. His mother says it's better than seeing him relapse. A few months ago, he approached Schoon for treatment, but he was told the center could not take on any new patients. Tatiana says the medicine shortage forced their hand. So this is a specific treatment program for people recovering from opiates addiction. And um, a few months ago, uh, we were informed by the Ministry of Health that there is a massive shortage in the medication for those people who are on opiate substitution treatment. Medicine shortages have plagued Lebanon since last year. 
A slew of medications for treating anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder are increasingly difficult or impossible to find. Shortages are another likely factor for the increase in substance abuse as more people seek to self-medicate. And there are also shortages in medicine used to treat addiction. Opioid replacement medicine like Subexon is normally subsidized by the Lebanese state. That means it's sold at the country's near-obsolete exchange rate of 1,500 lira to the dollar. The subsidy keeps medication affordable, but import agents must buy the medicine in dollars, money which the state doesn't have, which means it could no longer afford to buy stocks of the medicine. Dr. Shammai says they were able to bridge the gap and maintain the subsidy for the time being by relying on donations. Although there's still a shortage, the health ministry has managed to maintain its ability to dispense medication for pre-existing patients who rely on opioid substitution treatment. But that's only a short-term solution, and it hasn't come without a cost. The government does not have the capacity to take on any new patients. Unfortunately, some measures needed to be in place, like for example, for a few months we were unable to start new patients because we needed to ensure that the patients who are on treatment will have the treatment. We were unable to increase a lot the dosages because we wanted everyone to be safe. For people like Muhammad, it means either obsessively chasing after his medication on the black market at an inflated cost or risking a relapse until a spot at one of the free treatment centers opens up for treatment. And he says he's desperate. Mentally exhausted. I won't lie to you. Mentally exhausted. Because all I can ever think about is how to get this medicine. He says he can't afford private treatment with a psychiatrist or in a private rehabilitation center. Lebanon's dire economic situation plays a considerable role in the treatment of those with substance addiction disorders. With free treatment centers like Schoon stretched thin and waiting lists that are months long, options are limited for treatment. Those seeking help for addiction have to either wait for an opening at one of the free treatment centers, pay for private rehabilitation, or risk relapsing. And private rehabilitation is unaffordable to most in Lebanon. For example, a two-week detox at the Shafat Specialty Hospital costs the equivalent of $500 in the local currency. And then patients are referred to the Kefun Rehab Facility, which charges the equivalent of $200 a month. Another private rehabilitation center, Senecol de la Lumière, charges $1,500 a month. And Cedar Rehab charges $5,000 a month, although they sometimes offer discounts of up to 75% off through sponsorships. For comparison, the average public sector salary in Lebanon during the last three years of economic crisis is less than $100 a month. For Mohamed Barake, who runs a hair salon in the working-class neighborhood of Tari Ijdide, going to a private rehab is out of the question. A few years ago, he says he managed to kick a heavy intravenous addiction to morphine. And he has since switched to tramadol, a prescription opioid which he buys on the black market. He uses it to self-medicate and to keep his opioid addiction manageable. But he hates being addicted to anything and resents the physical pain of the withdrawal if he neglects to take it. I know I could go to rehab and get treatment for three, six months, and maybe after that I'd be recovered and I'd have my whole life in front of me. But I have a wife, I have kids. Who would work to give them a living while I'm gone? He tells me his family, in the meantime, is his anchor and his primary motivation for trying to get clean. Dr. Shamari, the head of the health ministry's mental health program, 
was careful to tell me that he's reluctant to correlate lower socioeconomic status with a rise in drug use. He's concerned about stigmatizing poorer communities. But he readily recognized the disproportionate impact the economic crisis has on the mental health of the working class. I think uh, it, it would be coherent uh, to assume that the more vulnerable economically you are, the more at risk you might be in those uh, conditions the country is going to, to resort, to help yourself in any way possible. Uh, because I think um, what's really missed because of the stigma around substance use, and I mean, people, not all people do it just because they want to do it because it's illegal or just to have fun or some people do it for have to, to have fun but most of people do it just to deal with a lot of pain a lot of to sleep this is how they start doing it to calm their anxieties to calm their head and then they're caught up into this uh, the system a discussion about socioeconomic factors is necessary exactly because lebanon is in a deep and prolonged economic crisis the vast majority of Lebanon's population now lives under the poverty line, 74% according to the United Nations, and that's up from 42% in 2019 when the signs of the economic crisis were just beginning to show. Unemployment is at an all-time high, with about one-third of the nation's labor force out of work, according to a recent survey by the International Labor Organization. Here's Tatiana from Skoon. People are ending up with anxiety and boredom and nothing to do. And if they have any relative that's sending them money from abroad or any income source, they could still afford to buy some drugs to be able to you know, cope with the situation, whether by drugs we're talking about alcohol or illegal drugs or prescription medication, any form of mind-altering substance that will help them cope with the situation that they're in. Kids who are unable to access their schools anymore or their universities, we know that a lot of parents can no longer afford the tuition of their, of, of their children. This is also making them put up with a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and a lot of and, and depression altogether. So a lot of the times they're also resorting to different types of drugs to be able to cope with that. There's a football pitch directly across from Hamad Barakeh's hair salon. He tells me the park has become a common den for drug use in the neighborhood where young people frequently gather to smoke joints, sometimes laced with substances besides cannabis, or do harder drugs. The same is true for most neighborhoods in Beirut, regardless of socioeconomic stature. You enter any of the capital's many abandoned buildings, and you will find the tattered remnants of drug use if you know where to look. Empty pill sachets, tiny plastic containers, and the broken remains of syringes. In certain areas of the country, like the Bekaa Valley, the state struggles to impose authority. Outlaws control entire neighborhoods. Whole clans have become infamous for their drug trafficking activities. And then there's Lebanon's famous nightlife, Dahlia says, where partiers are uninhibited, eager to take a break from the intensity of life, and drugs are easy to find. Everyone, literally everyone, when you go out is on something, you know? It's super common. You're offered drugs, like, all the time. Dahlia tried to describe to me her feelings and that of her peers. She struggled with her words at a loss for a description which captures the complexity and anxiety of life in Lebanon for a whole generation of people across a socioeconomic spectrum. Those emotions, just like anxiety, sadness, loss, fear. Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like a bit of fear because nothing's really certain. You don't know 
it's kind of everyone's kind of just living day by day. If you are in Lebanon and struggling with your mental health or find yourself increasingly relying on substances in your day to day, you can call the National Lifeline for Emotional Support, 1564. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Nada Homsi. This week's episode was written by me and produced by Arthur Edison. Subscribe to Beyond the Headlines for a weekly dose of stories from the Middle East and follow our coverage online at thenationalnews.com.